Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the word that you bring to us, the word about your spirit. And we pray, O oh God, that our hearts and minds would be open to receive, for these words to be transformed into meaning, and for us to live into what you would have us be and do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And the darkness covered the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. This is the very first lines of, in Genesis. And Genesis being the story of all things as they begin, with all of their origins and, and all the beginnings and all the sacred mystical understanding of how our world came to be. And it's obvious that the writer in this particular story is emphasizing and needs for us to know and to get that this is the Holy Spirit, the one and only Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that has always been, is, and will always be, that God's Spirit does not stand apart as a box. And God's Spirit can't be encapsulated in a word or a definition. That there is no other Holy Spirit than this Holy Spirit, and it is one with God in all of God's eternity, in all of God's eternal properties, in mystery and power. And, and here's the thing. Listen to how the story is, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There's this spirit of presence that this scripture speaks to us about, that the Spirit is present in all things. It doesn't say when the Spirit showed up. It doesn't say when the Spirit left. It doesn't say where the Spirit wasn't. It says the Spirit hovered over all the waters. And the most important thing, I think, for us to remember when we talk about the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, our spirit, this Holy Spirit that God has given to us, is that God does not stand apart and come out when we ask for it to. And it doesn't come out only on Sundays or when we go to Bible study or only when we're around people that we feel comfortable expressing ourselves to. That this Holy Spirit is not something that we can separate out of us. Like its counterparts in Hebrew and Greek, the Latin word spiritus means breath. It means, uh, for example, everything has breath as in, and that's where we get all of our words like expire, inspire, respiratory. And, and all of these words come out of that one word, espiritu. And breath is what you have when you're alive, and it's what you don't have when you're dead. So everyone that's alive has breath, has spirit. Spirit equals breath equals life. It's the spirit is the aliveness and the power in your life. And to speak of your spirit or soul is to speak of the power of life that is in you. 
When your spirit is unusually strong or the life in you is unusually alive, you can breathe it out and actually breathe it into other lives, and they are inspired by your life, by what you have to say. And it becomes literally inspiring in such a a way that we understand each other's language. We're no longer such a mystery to each other, but we speak a common language. John 4 says God is spirit. Thus, God is the power of the power of life itself. So do you get that? It's the power behind any power we have, any life force we have. That spirit is what empowers that power. And that God's spirit has breathed and continues to breathe the divine self into creation as we are always being recreated. The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, it it can also be contagious. So when Peter and his friends were caught up in it at Jerusalem on Pentecost, everyone thought that they were crazy or drunk. The two things that we really hope people don't identify with us. But yet, it was something marvelous to to behold in this gathering. Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They're filled with new wine. And then Peter says, kind of a funny line, I think. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That really isn't evidence of anything, but he still says it. No, he goes on, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now here's the thing for us to understand. That when Peter talks about this, he's not talking about the future. He's talking about that very moment. He's saying, this is what's supposed to happen now. This is what's supposed to happen now. This is what is happening now that the Spirit is being poured out on all of us, and now we all have the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is not so much an ability to tell the future 
as it is an ability to read the present and tell you the consequences of if the present doesn't straighten up the way it is, it will consequentially lead to this. So the, the, the gift of prophecy is really like being a great, intense mother. Because mother will tell you, if you eat that cotton candy before you go to bed, you will have a stomach ache tomorrow morning. Does that mean the mother had some foreknowledge? No, the mother knew. Now, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit or, or couldn't have foreknowledge or, or, or whatever, however God wants it to work it. But the more important thing is not being able to tell the future. The most important thing is being able to read the present and where we are in the present and how we are living in the moment. No matter how you look at it, Acts 2 shows a big God with a big word at work expanding out into a very big world. And these are the kind of God and the kind of story that inspires listeners and creates not little minds in a little world, but believers who are madly expressive, who cannot help themselves. Luke goes to great pains in this particular uh, gospel to insist that this outpouring of the Spirit is loud and ferocious and tangible, that this isn't just something happening in the minds of people. He wants to make sure that the world was viewing what was happening in the lives and the hearts of these people who had come to know Jesus. He describes it with wind and fire and loud talk and buzz and confusion and and public debate. Oh, they're drunk. No, they're not. He, He makes it active that Jesus was making an active difference in the lives of his followers, and people were seeing this. It's the Spirit. The Spirit is the power which enables the church to go public with with his good news to attract the crowds to have something to say that's worth hearing comes from the spirit a new wind is set loose upon the earth it's it's a new wind to us but it's not a new wind it's an old wind that hovered over the waters provoking a storm of wrath and confusion for some because sometimes we feel angry with the Spirit because the Spirit calls us to be our better selves and pushes us, and we feel restless, and we feel agonized unless, until we do. It won't let go of us. So this wind comes and loosens itself on the earth. And a fresh breath of hope and empowerment comes for some. And Peter, this Peter who was just recently hiding out with all the other disciples, they've been up in that upper room, do you realize, for all of this time, hiding out? And all of a sudden, this this disciple of Jesus, this apostle and all the rest, all of a sudden, the holy wind comes roaring into that space and lays waste their inhibitions and their self-doubts, and it turns their fear and their selfishness and pettiness into rubble. All of a sudden, they let go of it, and they take off this this costume that they've been wearing, this costume that was built by fear, this costume that was built by 
by all the self-doubt and all of the the hurt and angst and the 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 ugliness of humanity that piles itself on. They strip this costume off and they let their true selves be revealed and it's vulnerable and it's it's humbled. So in their in their rawness, they're ready. That's what it takes. It's not when they're all polished up and they know everything and they've got it down and they've proven themselves. It's in their vulnerability that that God says, you're ready. You're ready. Go out. Be vulnerable. Be real. Let people in. The Holy Spirit Being, a lo- being the living Christ in the world today means being filled with that same spirit that filled Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That same spirit that filled Jesus, the same spirit that came rushing into the lives of the, of the uh, disciples and all who had gathered. Not only that, but the same spirit that hovered over the waters in the ancient, most ancient of spirit. That same spirit Jesus wants us to understand is here. That we have been filled and given the Holy Spirit, and as the church, we live out of that power. And we live out of that context in our own lives. Jesus and the one true God are breathing the same breath, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the intimate communion between Jesus and between God. Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And it's this unity that Jesus wants us to understand and to recognize. We are breathing the same breath that Jesus breathed and that God breathes, this holy breath. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit, that deep communion. Living a spiritual life, therefore, means living in the same communion with the Father as Jesus did and making God present in the world. So how does the Spirit of God manifest itself through us? So there's many ways. One of the things I think is always interesting is we, we think that to witness to the Spirit means to speak up in defense of God. First of all, God needs no defense because every person that breathes has this inkling because the breath, the power behind that breath is God, has this inkling that something is there. So we don't need to defend God, but oftentimes we think we do. And, and this idea can make us very self-conscious. We wonder where and how we can kind of weave God into the topic of our conversation and how to convince our families and our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues and and strangers on the street, how to convince them of God's presence in their lives. But this explicit missionary endeavor comes from an insecure heart and can easily create divisions. The way God's Spirit manifests itself most convincingly is through its fruit, as the scriptures tell us. 
Many people think that when Paul gives these lists and litany of things, that it's a complete list and litany. It's never a complete list, list or litany. In the original language, Paul attaches, etc., etc., at the end. So he only gives you a little taste of what it is. And he says that the, that the way God's Spirit manifests itself is through the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustfulness, gentleness, self-control, etc., etc., etc. So these are things that we go out and we say, okay, the fruits of the Spirit, now I, I need to make myself the fruits of the Spirit. What they're saying is, that's what comes out of the Spirit. That is what comes out of the Spirit. And when we access and make ourselves aware and pay attention to that Spirit that's within us, this is the fruit that comes out of it. It's like saying to me, it's like saying to, uh, it, it, to praying that electricity will be there. You're looking at the plug and you're saying, oh, I pray, I pray for electricity to come. Come, electricity. But isn't it already there? You just plug in? I mean, I know that's, I'm not an electrician. Maybe that's not how it works. And if you are, don't tell anybody that there's no electricity there. So you flip on the switch and all that. But, but the Spirit of God is here with us. There, there's no a part of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is a, 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 the life force behind our life force. These fruits speak for themselves. And so it's better. There's, there's a better question to ask than how can I... Um, we always raise the question, how can I grow in the Spirit? Is a much better question than how can I make others believe in the Spirit? So if, you're, if your endeavors is to grow in Christ, if your endeavors is to grow in the Spirit, and, and you place your your opportunity there, then those, those fruits draw people to you as they drew people to Jesus. And when people are drawn to you, you have a natural opportunity and relationship to bear witness of the Spirit in a way that doesn't feel broken or unlike you or uncomfortable. To be a witness for God is to be a living sign of God's presence in the world. And I think every once in a while in our own lives, and I think each of you will testify to this, every once in a while we get a glimpse of what life offers, what that electricity feels like when we're aware of, we're very aware of the possibility of this deep communion. And, and when we're aware that when this deep communion is available to us and we let ourselves free fall into it, it's an experience that is physical, metaphysical, encompassing. There are only two, there are, I've had some experience of these, but the two experiences that stand out for me will not be surprising to you. You may have had these experiences as well. But these are not moments when I was taken up into a third heaven. These were moments where my feet were grounded in the reality of this place 
And yet my spirit was in communion with God in a way that I had not experienced before. And the first two times were with my children when they were born. Because when they were born, there were no words. There was, no, there was nothing in my mind except this, this communion of love. And I cried out for this. And I, I could not wrap my mind around the extent and the depth of this immense love. And at some point, I feared that I would be consumed by it and not exist anymore. That's the communion of our, our deep communion that we have the possibility for. And, and I was able to experience that twice. <laughs> and then another time when I experienced it was at the other end of life. When my dad, who had suffered a, a catastrophic stroke when he was 67, and it was the last time I would see him, the last time that he would be in front of me. And I can remember when I said goodbye to him, I can remember leaning over and putting my face close to his face. And my, this was incredible anyway, because my dad was not a touchy person. And I had him captured. So, and I held on to him, and I whispered in his ear over and over again. It was like a mantra. Do you know how you're loved? Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how deeply you're loved? Do you know, Dad? Do you know? Do you know this? And then when, and the room seemed to stop, and all I wanted Nothing else in the whole world did I want but to freeze that moment in time. And my whole life seemed held in that moment. And when I said goodbye, finally, I said, do you know, do you know, Dad? Do you know that as much as you're loved here, there's more love for you now? The Spirit the spirit, what we live is much more important than what we say. It always is. Poets know it. Actions speak louder than words. We know it. Because the right way of living always leads to the right way of speaking. We don't have to worry about what we say. When we live in the spirit, our words are going to be of the spirit. When we forgive our neighbors from our hearts, our hearts will speak forgiving words. When we are grateful, we will speak grateful words. When we're hopeful and joyful, we will speak hopeful and joyful things. We don't have to worry about it. And when our words come too soon and we are not yet living what we are saying, then we can easily give double messages to people. Giving dub double messages, one with our words and another with our actions, makes us hypocrites. And so, my dear friends, may our lives give us the right words, and may our words lead us to the right lives. And may all our steps, each one of us, all of us together, move in the same direction as one body, serving and loving and journeying toward this deep communion with our eternal God. This communion, which is set for us today, 
is a manifestation of that communion as well. This table is set, and the Lord is the host, and we are ready to come with our hearts wide open for all of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to come and to take the bread and the cup and to remember and to experience this deep communion. All are welcome. Let's pray together. Lord, for these elements, which are common elements for us, bread and juice, you have seen fit to love this world because it's your hand's creation and your spirit to be imbued in everything and everyone. And you ask only that we pay attention that we notice, that we're aware, and that we live into all that's there. For these common elements, oh God, they are not transformed in their physicality, but the space between 